What is a minimalist orchestra? It's like a regular orchestra, but without all the bells and whistles. <laughs> I know that was pretty bad, but it's funny because it ties into today's theme of eco-minimalism. Hello everybody and welcome to Starting Sustainability. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. What have I been up to lately? It's time to catch up with Kaylin and find out. Last Saturday was the very first time I was able to take my compost to the composting facility. Yay! <laughs> if you've been listening in over the last few months and you know that that is something I've been trying to do for a long, long time. And the only reason I was finally able to do it was because the local compost facility starting the first weekend in March is now open on Saturdays so I can actually make it during their open hours to drop off compost. I brought my kids and dog with me so everybody got a fun-filled adventure out of the house that day and got to take a nice little tour of the composting I guess it's really a landscaping yard that has a compost pile in it, but good enough for us. The very next day, I traveled north an hour and a half to Lafayette and got to hang out with my family. And we decided that we were going to go to the park. Up there in Lafayette is a place called Columbia Park Zoo. And it's a park and a zoo that's completely open all year round. So you don't have to pay for tickets or anything. And it's just open to the public. You get to go in and walk around, check out the park, check out the animals. I haven't been there for probably two decades. <laughs> I haven't been there since I was a little kid. And they have really done a lot to upgrade the facilities. And they're beautiful and they're very nice. I get all the way there. We unload at the park and I realize I forgot the stroller. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. <laughs> my heart dropped just a little bit. It's like, oh man. So I called my sisters and asked, hey, do you still happen to have strollers? Because all their kids are older than mine. And the answer was no, they got rid of them a long time ago. <laughs> so I did have the thought of maybe I can run out to the store and buy a stroller. But I currently have three in my garage. All of them were previously used. So that's cool. Not doing me any good in my garage since none of them made it into the car. But that day I chose to learn my lesson and held my kid. The two-year-old is good. He could walk around. But the 10-month-old I had to hold the entire time. And he's at that stage where only mom will do. Nobody else can hold him. Yeah, now my arms are super de duper buff and sore <laughs> from that. And as soon as I got home... I took one of the strollers and said, you are now the car stroller. I dub you the car stroller and it is now dedicated to the back of my car. So that will never, ever happen again. Knock on wood. I have an update on a small little victory for my husband where he works. He's an electrician and he does service and he is contracted into multiple facilities, but he spends a lot of his time at this cookie factory in South Indianapolis. And every time that he goes in, he has to put on a disposable smock. It's basically, think of kind of like a lab coat, except it's made out of paper and it's flimsy and crummy and it falls apart and he has to throw it away at the end of the day. Every day he has to do this. He proposed to his boss and the facility if he could get cloth smocks instead. Now he was doing it because he didn't like the disposable crummy smocks. But hey, I'm on board because to me, that is a sustainable alternative. 
that benefits him and it benefits the facility because in the long run it's going to save them a lot of money and I'm thrilled because it benefits the earth because it's a whole lot less stuff going to the landfill and this is for all the contractors not just him so everybody's getting cloth yay raw <laughs> one more victory point a couple weeks ago the HVAC company came out for a heater tune-up and informed us that we need almost $4,000 in repairs, or we could spend $8,000 on a new unit. And our unit is currently 17 years old. Now, whether it was truly in our best interest or if this person was really just trying to make a sales, that's up for debate, I don't know. We have opted to watch YouTube videos and we are going to attempt to fix it ourselves. For me, this decision was sustainability inspired to keep what we have as long as possible. It's not dead yet, so we're gonna keep it around. But for my husband, it's about saving money, and that's fine too. At least we're on the same page, even if we took different routes to get there. Oh yeah, I wanted to share. I got an email from Austin Sachs on behalf of Ethic, and he wanted to give me an update. Ethic has launched a new partnership with GreenKey. What is GreenKey? It's a voluntary eco-label that is awarded to more than 3,200 hotels and other establishments in 65 countries. It is the leading standard for excellence in the field of environmental responsibility and sustainable operation within the tourism industry. Green Key is eligible for hotels, hostels, small accommodation campsites, holiday parks, conference centers, restaurants, and attractions. So the next time that you're planning your travel, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, spring break, summer break, fall break, <laughs> Christmas break, anytime that you have any future travel plans, whenever you're comfortable and this coronavirus thing has gone away, be sure to go through the Ethic web browser extension. That way you can search hotels and other accommodations to stay at that will now have the little green leaf symbol stamp of approval from Ethic. One last thing that I wanted to share with everybody, I wanted to announce a merchandise update. Amanda, our merchandise maker, has been very busy making a whole bunch of really cool things like cloth napkins and tote bags, and all of these would be fantastic gift ideas for Easter and Mother's Day. These two are coming up real quick. Be sure to check out our Etsy store, Start Sustainable because starting sustainability was taken. So you have to go to Etsy and search Start Sustainable and then find all the different goodies and gift ideas that are all locally made, small business supported, reusing materials and sparing them from going to the landfill. It's time. Let's learn about the main topic of the day, eco-minimalism. If you're familiar with Marie Kondo or even Tiny House Living, then you do have some exposure to the concept of minimalism, but today we're really focusing on eco-minimalism. No, you don't have to live in a small place to be a minimalist, and no, you don't have to give up all of the things that you love. There is a way to make this work for you and be balanced at it at the same time. Please listen in on my interview with Laura Durenberger. Hello everybody and welcome to Starting Sustainability. One day, Tori, the media marketing manager, texted me and said, hey, did you know your podcast was mentioned in this article? And then she sent me a link to the article. And I responded with, nope, I had no idea. <laughs> Our next guest is the author of the article and the creator of Reduce, Reuse, Renew blog, Laura Durenberger. Say hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog. 
Sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, I'm Laura. Uh, I'm from Minnesota and lived here almost my whole life. Um, my blog, as you also mentioned, is called Reduce, Reuse, Renew. Uh, and I talk about uh, mostly eco-minimalism tied in with uh, some mental health aspects, especially anxiety. Eco-minimalism. I'm kind of familiar with what minimalism is, but let's go ahead and do a recap on that for the listeners and then explain how eco-minimalism is different. Yeah, so minimalism is essentially living with less. We think a lot of physical items when we talk about minimalism, but it actually can encompass so much more. So it can encompass, there could be digital minimalism where you work on reducing your digital clutter. You can look at mental clutter. You can look at your calendar. You can even, as uncomfortable as it may be, look at, you know, getting rid of people in your life that, you know, maybe aren't a good fit. Uh, so it can really encompass your entire life. And, and again, just with the focus on living with less. And what started you down that path? So I started, I think I got into minimalism through decluttering, which I think is a path that a lot of people take. Um, So I was eight months pregnant with my son and we had just moved into our house. And so as we were unpacking, I was essentially nesting at the same time. I was actually really panicking because we didn't have anything set up for you know, our son and his nursery and stuff. And as we were unpacking, I just, why do we have this? Why do we have that? And, and just, yeah, I was eight months pregnant. I don't know how else to to say it. So I think just moving in general, whether you're pregnant or not is incredibly stressful. And then doing it while pregnant, also very stressful. I did it while pregnant. And then we moved again when my kid was six months old, again, just as stressful. So it's never not stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I was kind of started going through our things as we were unpacking. I thought it was a good stepping stone. And then after my son was born, um, I really struggled with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. And I had started reading about how minimalism can help with uh, outside physical triggers Uh, triggers from your environment. So clutter, physical clutter mostly, and how that can help with mental health uh, issues. And uh, also when I was on maternity leave, I also started, I started getting really sad that I was gonna have to go back to work and wasn't gonna have enough time with my son. And I just, I kind of looked around and decided I didn't want to be cleaning all the time. I didn't want to be bogged down by all these functions or extracurriculars that didn't really bring a lot to my life at the moment. I, I wanted to focus on time with my son. So that's kind of how I got started with that process. Okay. So you're telling me if I become a minimalist, I won't have to clean as much. I won't be as stressed and I'll get more time with my kids to do fun things. That is the goal. Yes. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> So I have looked into minimalism just a little bit. So my exposure was minimalism, the documentary on Netflix, which was two guys who ran around and they're like, here's my little tiny backpack and everything I own is in this backpack and my life is great. And I thought to myself, that is so unrealistic. They don't have kids. They don't have a house. They stay in a hotel and they go out to eat. I'm like, how much money do they have? They have a lot of money. (laughs) They have to. I don't know how else they live that lifestyle. So what is what's realistic minimalism? 
So the nice thing about minimalism is that it can look different for everybody. You know, I might walk into somebody's house that they will, you know, tell me that they live a minimalist lifestyle. And to me, it may feel, you know, I, there's not um, enough, uh, you know, color or something, or maybe somebody could walk into my house and, and be like, well, you're not a minimalist. You have a lot of stuff. So it, it really looks different for everybody. And when you add kids into the mix, that adds a whole other layer. So, you know, looking at the minimalists, the two guys, yeah, their minimalist lifestyles can look very different from a family because it, it, it just, like you mentioned, the stuff. It's really a personal definition, you know, as long as you're feeling content with the things that you have and, you know, the way your life is going, then you can be a minimalist. I'm glad that you explained it that way because it feels very unattainable because when you hear minimalism, you think I'm only allowed seven shirts. I'm only allowed, <laughs> you know, five of this item or one of that item. And it's, it's stressful to think about, I won't have it when I need it. That's one of my major questions for you is when I try, <laughs> when I attempt, which I have been very unsuccessful at trying to get rid of things, that's my number one mindset is I might need that later. So how do you overcome that? What are your tips for overcoming that? It's kind of a, a complex, you know, layered answer. So, you know, first, I think we need to look at the fact that minimalism as a present day movement is a fairly privileged one. You know, the fact that we can even talk about having excess stuff to get rid of is a, is a, a, pri a privilege. You know, going back to the minimalists, the two the two guys. You know, of course, nothing wrong with the way they're doing things, but as like you said, it's not obtainable for a lot of people. Um, you know, when it comes to, I might need this. There's some people that really may have to hold on to stuff because they can't afford to replace it if you know it breaks or if they accidentally get rid of it. You know, it's it's there's a lot of nuances to to the movement. Generally, when we're talking about, uh, you know, I might need this. For me personally, I had to really take a look at what what was I really saying when that question would pop up for me. And what I found is that it's really it was really an emotional connection to these items that I was having the, the issue with. So when we look at things, they're just neutral. Like a thing is a thing. It, there's nothing to it. It, it just is. It's just when we attach our emotions to those items that it becomes more, you know? So for me, a lot of my, oh no, I might need this was really just anxiety. I was, you know, whether it's coming from a scarcity mindset or, um, you know, there's so many different variables. So I really had to take a look at, you know, why did I feel the need to keep this? Was it because like I actually might need it someday or is it just an anxiety symptom that was popping up, um, you know, that I could maybe work through. But as to what you mentioned, some tips, um, what really helped me was, again, with it being kind of more of an anxiety piece, it really helped me to imagine uh, somebody else using the item. You know, I would say, oh, would this make me happy if I got rid of it and somebody who actually wanted or needed it could use it? And most of the time, the answer is yes a great way to look at this because I don't want to let it go, but you're right. If it's going to make somebody else happy, then it's a lot easier to let it go. If you start looking at things and wondering what emotion is actually is that you're fighting with, that helps it 
you kind of work through it a lot easier because it isn't really about the thing. It's just about the emotion. So now I have an alternative question for you. (laughs) As a person focused on sustainability, I want to keep things and reuse them over and over. But eventually my junk drawer just gets full. So every time that there's a twisty tie on a package, I keep it because I can use it to wrap up spare cords and untangle them or for a craft or five other things. When I get my broccoli, it's always held together with a rubber band and I save the rubber bands because I can use those. But as I said, my junk drawer fills up and I'm very torn between getting rid of them, whether it's throwing them away or donating them or putting them in a craft and, and keeping them, you know, there's an emotional attachment there just because I don't want to add to the landfill. How do you handle that? Cause eco-minimalism is your area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the good old eco-anxiety and eco-guilt. Um, so I, that is, that's really the ultimate balance when it comes to eco-minimalism is yeah. You know, you do struggle with that. I struggle with that. So I've, I've made a rule that, you know, part of minimalism is that everything has a place, you know, clutter is something that doesn't have a spot really. So I have designated spots for jars and, you know, certain, the stereotypical eco-friendly items. And once that fills up, then I will recycle or try to pass on in some way. You know, and if that's happening a lot, then that's kind of triggers me as to, okay, so this is, you know, I'm having to fill this spot up and then recycle or whatever. Is there a way that I can refuse these items or uh, go a different direction where I'm not even bringing it into my house anymore Um, and trying to get creative that way? Those are excellent tips. (laughs) That gives me something to think about. Yeah. Instead of figuring out what to do that once I get it, how do I not bring it into the house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that leads me to my next question. I have a lot of siblings and family members and I'm the youngest and they are excellent at giving me all of their stuff because they want to do the hand me down thing that we've been doing our entire lives. It's extremely hard for me to refuse it because I know their intentions are good. So inevitably, every time I visit my family, I come home with at least two or three tubs of stuff. <laughs> I don't know how to reject that. How do you talk to your family members <laughs> to not give you so much stuff? Yeah, that that's really tricky. Um, and that's a really common thing, a question that comes up. You can try having a conversation with your family if you think they'd be receptive to it and just say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really working towards eliminating the stuff that comes in our home. Um, here's why, and then give them some of the minimalism benefits and, you know, see what they say if they're receptive. Um, But some people's love language, if you're familiar with like the five love languages, some people's love language is uh, gift giving. And so, you know, in that sense, it's hard. It's even, I think it's even harder to say no, uh, because they're of course going to take it personally, even though it's not personal. Say you get, you have conversations or, you know, and you get done one and they're just still, giving you stuff you know the gift is in the giving you know that cliche saying but once it's in your possession it's yours to deal with and if that means giving it to somebody else you know yes it's more work on your part but you're free to do with it what what you please once all of this stuff is in your house like right now (laughs) I have a bunch of stuff in my house 
What is your best advice for getting started? How do I tackle all this stuff? Because just thinking about it overwhelms me. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really common uh, question as well. For me, getting started was easiest when I focused on something really small. So you mentioned the junk drawer earlier. You know that usually doesn't hold a lot of emotions and it's small enough that you can tackle it in a day. Usually I hope <laughs> it took me two hours. <laughs> so, so That's yeah. Still a day. Day. <laughs> and to me, I was like, this is taking eternity. How am I going to get through the rest of the house? <laughs> Okay. So that's normal. That makes me feel yeah. better that that is normal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not a quick process, but you know, kind of a, a quick side note, I, you know, try to embrace the amount of time that it takes because that is motivation for me to uh, eliminate things that come back in because I know I'm going to have to deal with them again. Um, you know, if I want to, if I want to uh, establish this minimalist lifestyle, so you can kind of use that as motivation, but Anyway, back to the getting started. So yeah, so the junk drawer is like a really great spot. Um, another one that I know people have good luck with is like your bathroom. Because again, it's not usually a lot of emotions that are attached to those items. Um, and it's it's uh, big enough that you can see the difference and it, that acts as a motivator. Marie Kondo is another uh famous minimalist and you know she talks about sentimental items as being last so you know stuff like that the closet also can hold a lot of emotions um, in terms of clutter so you know those those places you probably don't want to begin with but uh, something small something non-emotional those are usually good places to start that's very good advice something small something non-emotional and once you kind of get the ball rolling it's easier to keep going like the snowball effect yeah. And you have that motivation, you know, you start seeing, you know, you walk into your bathroom and it's nice and clutter free and it just feels lighter. And, and that is, that can be really motivating to keep you going to some of the harder areas. Once I tackle my areas of the house, I say that as a married woman, but this, this is going to be a great question for anybody who lives with another person, whether it's a roommate or a sibling, parents or a spouse. I'm in control of my areas. How do I get another person, <clears throat> for example, my husband, to tackle the garage, which is his area? Honestly, you know, just, just leading by example. If they're receptive to articles or other educational things, like maybe watching a documentary, that can help. But you know, not saying you would do this personally, but the worst things you know, we can do to our partners or roommates is try and force them or declutter for them. And, you know, that's only going to lead to bad things. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I was like, yeah. I can't do the garage for him. That will, and that will not go over well. I also can't push him to do it because that's also not going to go well. <laughs> You know, just if you can lead by example, if they're not receptive or uh, approach it as more of a team thing, you can work on it together. Um, you know, one thing to remember, too, is is uh, a lot of compassion for your partner or, or your roommate, because there's again, we're talking about uh, clutter and emotions. And there's a lot of situations where 
that could cause people to hold on to stuff that we would see as excess clutter and, you know, unnecessary, but, you know, maybe they grew up from um, in never having enough and, you know, they've worked really hard and got a really great job and, and now can have a lot of stuff. And that's a way that they've shown themselves that they've gotten out of it or something, you know, I'm not explaining it well, but something like that, where, you know, we just don't always know why people have clutter and it can re- be really damaging if we don't have that compassion for, those other people and and they may not even realize why why they're holding on to stuff. Once I go through and I figure out what I want to get rid of, what is the best process to get rid of it eco-friendly speaking? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So, you know, back before I really started combining the eco um eco-friendly living and minimalism, I would just take it to the thrift shop in my local Goodwill. um, And hopefully, you know, hope I see it on the shelves or something, but that has not, that has changed. That's not, you know, just because you donate something doesn't mean it's going to end up on the shelf. A statistic I saw, I think it's been a couple of years now, it was from Goodwill itself. um, And this was pre-pandemic. So I'm guessing it's more now, but up to 40% of the items donated uh, don't end up on the shelves and they go into what Goodwill referred to as the waste stream. Um, For them, that meant um, if the item was really damaged, it'd be the trash. Um, Some of them they could recycle. And then others, they would go to like a Goodwill auction um, where they just shove stuff in boxes and people would bid on them. Of course, a lot of that recycling was at one point sent to other countries, but they decided they didn't want our junk anymore. And we can't really blame them for that. (laughs) We didn't want it either. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, why would they want it? The thrift store is still, you know, a great option, but for me personally, looking at it from an eco-friendly lens, I think that I have responsibility to uh, properly dispose of these things. And so I try uh, really hard to if they're, the item is good and still usable to get them in the ha- get it into the hands of somebody that actually wants and will use it. Um, there's great options like uh, Buy Nothing Project. Hey, I just interviewed her. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Jennifer Lansdowne. Oh. So her, okay. her podcast will actually air uh, one or two weeks before this one. So I'm glad Very that you mentioned cool. that. Everything ties in together. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We, I love my local buy nothing group. Um, it's great. And, uh, another one is freecycle.org is another one. It's very similar to buy nothing. Um, if you're familiar with next door, a lot of times people will swap items on there. Facebook marketplace is another spot. Um, or even just asking, you know, friends and neighbors, family, if, if they want items that you're giving away. If it's something that needs to be recycled, you know, you can do a Google search for, or Ecosia, um, if you want, you know, just find out where you can recycle that item in your area. And, you know, something to, to kind of keep in mind too, is, you know, with the cluttering, it does take time as we talked about, but, you know, if you want to do it from an eco-friendly lens, really to build in that time to look up this stuff of where to bring it and actually bring it there. So it's not saying your trunk for four months and, you know, so it, to factor in that time as well so that you're not just, Oh, I just got to get rid of this stuff. And then you just, you know, throw it or whatever. What is the realistic time frame to fully eco minimalize your household? Hmm. 
you can definitely give a range here. <laughs> like, that's, I know that, that's a yeah. hard question. <laughs> a lot of factors. <laughs> you can also say, Kaylin, don't ask me that. Just edit that right out. <laughs> no, it's okay. Assuming you're not working on it every day, if you're looking at, you know, maybe just a weekend project, if you have a family and work during the week and stuff, um, you know, it could probably, depending on how big your house is, I mean, I think it could take probably a couple months or longer if you're diligently doing it every single weekend. Um, some people take a year, you know, if they're just working on it a little bit each day. Uh, as far as uh, getting rid of this stuff, and uh, again, another a lot of factors are how popular some of those sites are in your area, if, if the stuff will get snatched quick. Um, another thing I did uh, earlier in 2020, in the summer, uh, I had a free yard sale, putting that in quotation mark sale. And I just put out tarps and put stuff out on there and advertised it as, you know, free. And, and that was a really quick way. It only took two days and I got rid of almost all the stuff. So, you know, there's a bunch of different variables for recycling places. I'd probably give it, I'll say a week just because some of those places have really weird hours, but you know, you might want to take a week and plan out your days and when you're going to drop stuff off. It's kind of an, an average, I guess. <laughs> For New Year's, I don't do resolutions, I do bucket lists, but one of them is embracing minimalism. And I just want to incorporate that into my life. And I was thinking it's probably going to take me the whole year just to get through my household. And here we are the end of January and I've accomplished my junk drawer. <laughs> it took me a whole month to do that. <laughs> it's a good start. Well, I also had to clean out Christmas, like my kids' toys, because we mm. got a bunch of stuff for Christmas that we didn't even buy. <laughs> it came yeah. from everybody else giving it to us. And I thought, great, now I have this overabundance of toys taking over my living room. So I had to orchestrate which ones I was going mm. to donate, resell, get rid of <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so I guess that's two yeah. items now, half of my kids' toys and a junk drawer. <laughs> yeah. There you go. The kids' toys can be challenging, so I think you should give yourself more credit because that's a that's a hard area. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll give myself a pat on the back. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> You've made a living from this lifestyle. Can you share your services with the listeners of the podcast? Yeah. Um, so this is actually just a part-time thing for me. I just I blog and. I'm on social media for fun. Um, I don't have any services relating to like eco-minimalism. Again, I just do the, the blog and uh, I do some freelance writing on the side as well. And since this is coming out in March, I am launching a podcast, which will be announced in February. So I'll have that going as well. What's the name of your podcast? That way people can listen in on that. Yeah, it's called uh, Raising Eco-Minimalists, and it's all about uh, building a community of those who are raising eco-friendly kids and uh, just helping them through that. Well, best of luck with your podcast. Thank you. If you have any stumbles, trips, and bumps, I'm sure I have hit them already and I can help you through them. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. If listeners of the podcast want to learn more about minimalism, do you have advice on resources that they can go to in the meantime before your podcast comes out? There's a lot of really great books. Part of minimalism, again, is 
uh, reducing stuff that comes in. So I'd highly recommend if you're not already familiar with your local library, um, you can search out different topics or books. So if you just put in a search for minimalism, a bunch of books will come up um, and they've all got pretty similar um, overall overarching themes. Um, so I don't really know if I have a favorite. Uh, if you're looking for sustainable minimalism in general, uh, there is a podcast uh, host is Stephanie Safarian, and it's actually just called Sustainable Minimalism. And she did just release a book, I think last week of the same name. So that if you're looking for that specifically, that's a great resource for that. Awesome. And if members of Sustainer Nation have additional questions that maybe I haven't thought of to ask, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you to ask their questions? Yeah, you can send me an email. I'm at laura at reduce, reuse, renew blog.com. You can also check out my website. I have a whole section on minimalism and decluttering and it's uh, reduce, reuse, renew blog.com. Those are all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that maybe I didn't bring up that I forgot to mention? Yeah. So it just kind of reminded me when I talked about the book library, um, uh, lending libraries are starting to become really popular in a lot of areas. Um, for example, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we have a toy library, the book library, um, free little libraries. Um, there's free little pantries. There's clothing libraries. We have an art library, a tool library. Some of them are very grassroots. Uh, just neighbors having these things. Um, others are actual nonprofit organizations, but uh, getting involved in those or utilizing those resources are such fantastic ways to obtain eco-minimalism. They cover all those, all the bases. Um, so I would, if you haven't already, I would highly recommend doing a, a search to see if you have any of those in your areas. Sometimes book libraries will also have games or puzzles or some of them may have heard even have like kitchen items. So, you know, definitely worth checking it out. Again, it's just such a great way to not only get involved with your community, but also, um, you know, be more eco-friendly and reduce clutter coming into your home. So those little libraries, I have seen them popping up all over and I kind of just thought it was around B, but maybe it's really all over, <laughs> which is wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of helps ease your mind of what if I need it later. Exactly. So the little lending libraries are an excellent solution to kind of make you more comfortable <laughs> with minimalism. Yeah, exactly. And those, um, those free groups that I mentioned earlier, uh, those are also really great places to ask if people have something you could borrow, you know, if you're nervous about getting rid of something. Yeah, definitely utilize those resources. It's it's just, uh, you know, it's the sharing economy is kind of what, what those are grouped under. It's really starting to become more popular and mainstream. And I think during COVID especially that has kind of escalated those, those types of resources. So, you know, take advantage of them if they're active in your area. And if they're not, you know, consider starting one. It's, it doesn't take that much time. And, and again, all, all good things. <laughs> You have shared very wonderful, pertinent advice, and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and share all of your knowledge with me and the listeners. And hopefully many of us will get on board the minimalism train and make all of our efforts, make all of our dreams come true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. All right. Well, thank you and continue saving the world. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 
Thank you again, Laura, for explaining eco-minimalism and its benefits to us. I forgot we recorded this back in January, and now it is March. I can honestly say I haven't actually done any more minimalizing since then. Whoops. <laughs> but now I am inspired, and I'm really, really grasping onto the concept of having a free yard sale just to get rid of all of my unwanted stuff. Stay tuned for that. Next week on the show... I have a special surprise for you, my first public speaking presentation for sustainability. That's all for today, Sustainer Nation. Continue to go out and save the world, and I will talk to you all again next week. Bye.